This is Kelly. This is Jen. This is Heather. And you're listening to Whiskey Cats. Yay! <laughs> In this episode of Whiskey Cats, we try some Johnny Drum, we discuss the porosity of wood, space whiskey, and whiskey on the rocks. So what are we drinking today? So, uh, I picked up some Johnny Drum for us. Uh, I went to I Street Cellars downtown, EYE, and uh, it turns out they have a fantastic bourbon selection, so we should all write that down for future reference. Um, And they had a bunch of stuff that I'd seen and stuff that I had not seen before, and I started Googling it all because I wanted a bourbon, as far as whiskeys go, and I wanted something relatively... um, not inexpensive, but just affordable, I guess. And so some of them had horrible reviews. And then this one, uh, I can't remember which review I clicked on, but the first line was, this is the kind of whiskey we hate to promote because people are going to find out the secret. <laughs> I was like, sold. Oh, and then I saw twenty six ninety nine on the price tag. And I was like, nice. double sold. I'm buying that bourbon right now. Yep. Two, please. Uh, this is the same place, by the way, that I was looking for Westland, the sherry cask. And... Um, <clears throat> They said they're ordering it for me. Oh, so they do sell Westland fantastic. regular whiskey, which is also delicious, but I want that goddamn sherry I had sherry no cask. idea they came this far east. It's so exciting. Yeah. Well, oh. they only have a few places, but on their website, they say where they sell it. So anyway. That's impressive for a West Coast distillery to get. I know. Coast. And it's good to know because we're running low. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of feel bad how much we drink of that now. But it's that for drinking. Don't feel bad. <laughs> it's okay. It's what it's for. Uh, so, all right. So I looked up a little bit about this, um, this bourbon. Um, it is made from the same distiller that makes Willet. And, uh, something that I learned recently, well, because Kelly, you made us buy this book last year, which is... <laughs> what, what book is that, Heather? <laughs> uh, The Guide to Urban Moonshining, How to Make and Drink Whiskey by Colin Spolman, I think, and David Haskell from the Kings County Distillery in Brooklyn. And they came up with this book maybe a year or two ago, and um, we all bought it and read it because we had uh, huge dreams of maybe distilling our own whiskey. Had, had. I'm sure we will do it. <laughs> We're going to dial that back and just talk about it for a while, I think. Um, and it's actually a fantastic book, like, especially if you're just learning a little bit about whiskey. It gives history, but it's not encyclopedic. Um, it gives... Uh, a little bit of detail about the different kinds of whiskeys. Um, what it also has is an American whiskey family tree uh, on page 72. And it's great. It actually has tree limbs, which I find satisfying. And what you learn is that a lot of American whiskeys uh, are made from one of, you know, a, a very few handful of distillers. So, like, you know, Beam Incorporated makes Jim Beam. They make Maker's Mark. They make Old Granddad. And they make Knob Creek. Um, and on and on and on. So a lot of them all, you know, you think you're buying like a thousand different kinds of whiskeys or bourbons or whatever, but there's really just a few. And so, right. And there was that expose or whatever, a couple months back where everyone was like, what? My craft whiskey is only distilled at blah, blah, blah. blah." (laughs) You're like, well, yeah, if you did a little research into your whiskey, you would have have known that. And some of that is more problematic than others because some of them are saying like, bottled by and you know bottling is is 
it's literal. Like, it just means bottling. It doesn't mean it's being distilled. And so people will buy different barrels and things like that from different places. Um, but, you know, the same same distiller can actually make different kinds of whiskeys. And so Willet, which is actually um, under the name Kentucky Bourbon Distillers, uh, makes, you know, a few a, a few different kinds Um although fewer than the rest, I think. And so one is this Johnny Drum, which I admit I have not heard of before. Um, this is the Johnny Drum Private Stock uh, Sour Mash, which, in case you don't know what a sour mash is, that is a process used mostly in bourbon. Uh, and it's basically the same thing as uh, sourdough bread, that you use this uh, mash that's used in a previous, a previous making of the bourbon, and you use it to start the next um, batch. Because like it brings in, yeah, exactly, and it brings in like the yeast. So creepy. <laughs> it's one of the creepiest baking terms I've ever learned in my life. <laughs> so we're about to drink some. <laughs> Have a sip of the mother. Oh, it's so weird. Uh, so yeah, so um, that's how you make a little bit of bourbon. And what am I doing? You want to read the bottle? Uh, you know, no. <laughs> okay. Um, why? Because, wait, does it have it on the whole bottle? Oh, it has it on this little tag here that's attached to the bottle. Is like the dumbest story about the Civil War I have ever read. And it's oh. all like, and according to legend. Oh, come it's on. Yes, it. No, oh, God, it's so got, no we gotta read it. Okay, gotta read, read it. The year was 1861. Oh, God. Confederate forces began firing on Fort Sumner, Sumner sorry, in Charleston Harbor on April 12th. The Civil War had begun. Boys as young as eight were attempting to sign up to fight for the noble cause. Like so many young men during this time, Johnny Drum attempted to join a regiment in his home state, but was turned down because of his age. Eventually, Johnny found a regiment to take him in, and he served as a drummer boy. At the end of the war, legend has it that Johnny returned home to settle amongst the rolling bluegrass knobs of his native Kentucky, where he staked his claim among a beautiful spring. Johnny soon learned the importance of finding a way to convert his excess corn crop into profitable item, rather than allowing it to go to waste. Johnny had a penchant for giving his all, and it wasn't long before Johnny's determination produced an exceptional bourbon whiskey. Today, we invite you to try what is still the first finest sipping whiskey in the territory. Oh, that's terrible. So terrible. I like that they actually attach it on with a rubber band, like it's the, thro- the throwaway that it is. Sorry, that was me <laughs> trying to get off this excessively waxed uh, bottle top. Yeah, this one. This is a very contrived story. According to legend. According to legend. legend. This is named after an eight-year-old boy. Who grew up to make whiskey. <laughs> who happened to be named Johnny Drum and then go play the drums. Uh, yeah, so this is the private stock. Um, it means it's over, uh, I don't believe it says on here, but I think it's it's well over 12. It might be 14, or it's that's what it is. It's 15 year aged. So it's their most aged Whoa. version of the Johnny Drum. Um, they have like a green and I want to say a red label, um, which are, it's I think it's four years and then four to 12. And then they have like, it's like a green 12, and that one's actually 12, instead of a blended. But this is the 15. And it's like a yellowy white label. Is that what do you want to do? Oh. It does. It's very mild. It, do you want to smell it? No. It's, <laughs> I'll smell it in the glass. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's very mild. It was like that sherry cask. Oh, yeah. It's that was not, just like overwhelming. Well, the sherry cask was not the overwhelming one. It was the oh, single the, barrel, I think. That one was... 
That one was a little out of control. Um, there's wax in there. Cheers, ladies. Cheers. Hang on, I gotta get the wax out of my glass. <laughs> oh, God. It's not the kind of poison I'm looking for. <laughs> All right. Cheers. Cheers. Very mild. That's got vanilla and... You know, it tastes like Irish whiskey to me. I don't get the sweet. I got a bunch of spice. Yeah. More spice than sweet to me. Hmm. I like it. The smell in the glass is different than the smell from the bottle. The smell from the bottle is really good. It smells very medicine-y in the oh, glass. Yeah. That's strange, right? It's very spicy up front, and it like lingers on my lips a little bit. Yeah, my tongue is mm-hmm. tingly. So I did read some of the reviews for this. Well, and actually, so I went to the Willet website and read about it. And so this is actually something they say. Leather? I don't, I mean, I know what leather smells like, but like, what? I'm not sure I've eaten leather, so I don't know that I would. I would imagine leather being pungent, maybe even like musty. Eaten leather is like the fancy horse riding leather, isn't it? I mean, if we're talking about the taste of leather, that's like, leather is one of the most poisonous things on the planet. (laughs) It does not seem like something that, I'm not even sure how you provoke that taste. Hmm. And I think, I can't remember if it was them or a view that said marzipan, which, what is that, almonds? I don't really know what marzipan is. I think so. Yeah, I think so. I never liked marzipan. Because they yeah. always come in those, like, weird pig shapes and whatever, and then it's just <laughs> odd. Almond meal, yeah, and sugar and honey. Oh, I don't get any of those. Yeah, I didn't get any of that. I'm just getting a lot of spice. It I smells mean, sweeter than it tastes to me, sorry. Oh, well, I was going to say, I, I do I do taste the spice, but um, it tastes sweet to me. Very much. I think. I haven't had bourbon in so long. No, really. Like, our house right now is completely stocked with American whiskeys mm. and two ryes. And we are sadly out of bourbon. And I have, like, lost touch of sweet. So, to me, this, like, fits in with everything I've been drinking lately. Whereas I'm so used to bourbon being that upfront sweetness. Huh. I think I, it's got that upfront sweetness. But I, do, but I think it's spicier mm-hmm. than most bourbons, mm-hmm. for sure. I'm looking at your... May I do a short comparison to the Four Roses? Please do. <laughs> We've got some Four, res- four Roses small batch. This here. is like my uh, my calibration. I know what <laughs> I know what Four Roses should taste like, and so I need to compare con- them side by side to my control. Your control. I'm yeah. a scientist. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I've got the Four Roses small batch, which happens to be sitting on Heather's shelf behind me. We're gonna try this side by side conveniently because I feel like I've lost my. My bourbon taste. You want some too? Yeah, well now I feel like I need to yep. participate in the experiment. Did you have a little water? Clean your mouth up. Thank you. The smart the the, 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 the the four roses smells more pungent to me. So this smells so the four roses way less spicy. Like a round sweetness to it. Let's taste. Like, that is, that is a bourbon to me. You know, it's like... You're right, you're right. It, the Four Roses is far sweeter. Yeah. I mean, not, not, and in, not a, in an overly sweet yeah. way, but just, like, there's no spice. 
it doesn't have, it's interesting, it has like no lingering, there's not a lot of lingering taste. Mm -mm. It just has this lovely flavor up front. And it like ties it up in a nice little bow. Yes, it does. It ties it up in a nice little bow. Which is why normally, I mean, bourbons are great because it doesn't overwhelm. Like it's a, it's just mellow across the board. You know, it doesn't stay with you forever. It's not the way that like rye does. Because I think rye, Mm -hmm. like, you know, I think I've said this before that it's like, beers that are too hoppy and they just mm-hmm. stay with you. It's not even the taste that I hate. It's the way that I can't get it out of my mouth. Mm-hmm. And so bourbons are the opposite of that. Yeah. And this, like this, the four is a small batch. I could probably drink for five hours straight neat and be totally happy, but I'm sure you have. Drunk. <laughs> probably <laughs> have. In fact, Maybe once or twice. the Johnny drum, I really like, but I don't think that I, that is a, it's, it's so different. It's not something that I could enjoy. It's not, it's not a session bourbon. Does such a thing even exist? It's not a session. Sorry, mom. Totally not an alcoholic. Okay. Um, I'm going to pour some more because I want to drink it with some water. Because yeah. I think that'll like good idea. That'll change it a lot. Good idea. All right. So we're taking the Johnny drum. We're going to add a sploosh of water. So, you know, it mellows it out, but not very much. Really? Like, I'm still getting a lot of spice. Still smell, even the smell up front. Yeah. I mean, the spice doesn't linger anymore for me, but... It almost mellows the sweetness out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I don't get any... I don't get any... I'm getting more of the medicine-y mm-hmm. than the sweetness now. See, this is a bourbon that I would love with a little splash of ginger beer. Mm-hmm. Whereas I wouldn't do that to the Four Roses, but this, <laughs> and I don't, Johnny Drum, I don't mean any offense to you. You're a very lovely bourbon, but. And probably a great drummer. Probably <laughs> a great Civil War drummer. I mean, well, he made it out, right? <laughs> he survived. He survived Before enough he to. Settle down in Kentucky. To, to, to grow some corn. Say the California and New England and, women. Uh... <laughs> But I, but I would like that's a, it's a, it's a nice bourbon, a nice spicy bourbon that I would mellow with a little ginger, and or, be very happy with. This seems actually like a really good um, classic cocktail bourbon, like mm-hmm. Manhattan mm-hmm. or an old fashioned. It would be so good with yeah. the little Ooh, bitters. An old fashioned would be lovely. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, now we know Johnny Drum's place mm-hmm. on the shelf. How <laughs> yeah. much was this bottle again? Twenty six ninety nine. And I actually thought this place, I Street, yeah. like no, no hate on you, but a little. Everything's a, a few dollars more expensive than it should be. Mm-hmm. I mean, a downtown store is. Probably it's a downtown be. store, yeah. But um, so yeah, I would say me, probably you probably find it even cheaper. But uh, twenty six is a damn good price for a bourbon on your shelf, yeah. and and I mean, good. Like yeah, I I like it. I don't think I don't think I would drink it straight though. I think you're right. I think it's yeah, a I don't. But a cocktail. great a great cocktail bourbon. Mm-hmm. Some ah, cheers. Cheers. Hey. about this book yeah let's, um, let's talk about it yeah we'll have a little whiskey book club moment um we did read it a year ago so our <laughs> recollections are going to be suspect i think what i most enjoyed about this book <laughs> <laughs> just 
Well, I don't like, maybe I, I didn't remember read it. I did, but it's been so long. Well, I mean, I was saying before we started that I, I read the first couple chapters again last night, you know, because what else are you going to do during the Super Bowl? And uh, I felt like I was reading it for the first time because there's a lot of information to yeah. absorb in here. Yeah. And uh, it's very, it's really well written. I will say the one uh, terrible point about this book, which I think, Kelly, you were the first one to bring up, is that the photography oh, oh, it's bad. It's so, so bad. bad. It's so bad. And we're particularly sensitive to that because yeah. we love photographers. But um, there's no excuse for the photography in this book. I don't mm-hmm. really know what they were thinking. But they probably had like at the oh, end like, of the book, like, had a horrible budget to do anything. I'm saying leave the photos out. Like, this adds nothing. The, yeah, on on no. page 70 here it says, the caption, the still house of Jim Beam, where two columns still produce whiskey for Beam's brands. And it's literally a completely <laughs> black silhouette of a building that could be literally anywhere in America. Like, like Detroit they, back alley. Like, <laughs> they drove by it while the sun was was in the shot facing them. And they were like, quick, get a photo. Oh my god, there it goes. I wrote, I, wrote, I wrote some notes. So I, I apparently I got to page 70 last night and I wrote I wrote in the in the sidebar, um, Rye is hard. Rye is hard. Rye is hard. It says rye rye is an easy target, perhaps, because the demand for rye whiskey is very high and the supply is very low. Mm. It can be hard for craft distillers to make as the grain gets gelatinous and can burn inside the still, Ooh. mixing smoke in the vapor column and producing a foul tasting distill uh, distillate. Distillate, distillate, distillate. Perhaps it's enviable that certain shortcuts would have taken would have to be taken to satisfy the market, uh, but it can be just as perplexing to look into bourbons. Hoping, well, now we're getting on. Beside the- anyway, <laughs> anyway, the rye, summary is rye can get gelatinous. Rye, rye is hard. Rye is hard. <laughs> oh god! Okay. I loved. I liked the anecdotal way that it was to- that the story oh, yeah. was told, and it's it, very well it described the history. Yeah. I mean, it was a little. It got a little like. Uh, we at Kings County do everything amazingly, and everyone else well, kind of doesn't. But yeah, that's, but fair, that's, that's fair. It's their book, and yeah. I did learn a lot from it. And there are recipes in the back, which I need to try mm-hmm. more often. I sort of forget that they're there until you're Yeah, I just did my uh, Peapod grocery delivery order, mm-hmm. and I added Angostura bitters and maraschino cherries, because that's all you need to be making some of these cocktails, and I don't have them in my bar. That's really just shameful. And they have shameful. a recipe in the back. That Heather's on right now called the Perfect Manhattan. Yep. Mm, perfect. Rye, sweet vermouth, dry vermouth, Angostura bitters and cherry. Oh, uh, yeah, vermouth also. I gotta go to the store. I mean, it's nice. It takes you through, again, like, you learn that rye is hard, and you learn all the differences between the scotches and the whiskeys and the aging mm-hmm. and what what the barrels do and all of those sort of little things that you... Are tired of googling? You can learn it here in this book. <laughs> and I felt like nice. they they went over prohibition and sort of how it came about mm-hmm. and how it came out of prohibition, and so it actually gave a very nice rounded history of just drinking in general. Yeah, agreed. And and uh, Kentucky specifically, because one of these guys is from there, and so mm-hmm. he sort of grew up drinking Elijah Craig, and you know had moonshine. Yeah, and so he has a kind of a good, um, you know, a good history. This this is a little like. There's this flowchart called What Am I Drinking? And it... No. I mean, in a way, the text on this part is really handy because, um, you know, it describes what what the mash bill is for all of these drinks. You know, that, like, you need 51% more corn to be making a bourbon and you need so-and-so to be making rye. Or, you know, if you if, like, the other part of the corn mash is wheat, then that's what gives you a wheated bourbon, like a maker's mark. Um, and... But sometimes it's something else like rye. Uh, but this flowchart 
is like I think it feels like it's straight out of an onion article. <laughs> because you can't actually see where any where the, lines go. <laughs> where the lines go. There's like six hundred different lines going from three things to four things. It reminds me of a mathematical proof that you would have to do at the culmination of a semester of <laughs> horrible like PCHEM. Mm-hmm. physical chemistry like this is what you would end up with and it would be in a poster on the wall in your house because you can't differentiate any of the pieces so much and that and then in the end you just burn it at the end of the semester <laughs> yeah, sorry. i'm not sure where that was going but that's how i feel when i look at this thing it's so frustrating <laughs> it reminds me of Beacon. um like it could have been useful but it's yeah. not useful but they should break it down uh maybe well, well that's the thing is that it's i don't, I don't know I think the text breaks it down a lot better. It's the one time where, like, the text is actually much more helpful. These aren't, these aren't, they, these notes aren't as funny. <laughs> it's just an arrow drawn to moonshine. <laughs> well, it's any unaged spirit made from corn. Now you know what moonshine is. Just drop some knowledge on you. Um, also, you know what I learned today is that Canada requires that anything that's labeled bourbon mm. to be made in the United States. Like, mm. we're like the champagne of bourbons. Mm-hmm. That's I kind of like awesome. That. Yeah. Not every country does that. Like, lots of other right. countries make bourbons and don't give a shit whether... Oh, yeah. You know what? This is what I found sort of... Sort of tedious is the part that you made us read it for. <laughs> the actual, like... <laughs> How like, to. Yeah, the, the step-by-step. <laughs> step one, mashing. It's very step two, thorough. Fermenting. Step three, straining. And, and, you know, I, you know, and I, I also appreciated the fact that it was like, FYI, this is illegal. FYI, <laughs> if you're going to do it anyway, here's how you should do it. Yeah. See, I kind of liked that part because for me, it's like reading a cookbook. And I like that part because it's getting into like the guts of how the stuff is made. So I kind of enjoyed it because I tried to picture doing it. Like, what would this actually be like? I, don't know. I think I probably liked it less just because for all we've talked about distilling, I know it's going to be you guys doing it and you guys, and me like doing our social media account. And you're like, I'll show up and taste it. That's yeah, awesome. Exactly. <laughs> what are you, do you need me to hold that? I can hold it. So, you know, um, have you seen the show Moonshine on Discovery? Or totally. Whatever? Yes. Oh yeah. Uh, like not really, but I know. Moon, Moonshiners. Moonshiners. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. Sorry. So every time they actually go out into the woods and set up their illegal still or whatever, and then they actually run the still and then they get um, distilled out, they immediately like put their little moonshine glass mm-hmm. under it and then take a drink. And I'm like, You're gonna- what are you doing? <laughs> because they're going to go blind. One of them is going to go blind. Has that happened yet on the show? I, I don't think so. But then again, I don't watch it religiously. Yeah. Maybe so. they're really just trying to scare us with all this blind stuff. Gonna go blind stuff. I'm gonna t- I'm gonna tell you, I just I paid a lot of money to have these eyes lasered and I'm not <laughs> not giving it up for like a tipple of moonshine. <laughs> but you also don't like live in the woods near a still. I just mean... because you know science. <laughs> I somebody's drinking that before me. I mean, I know I'm like the guinea pig because I have no other role. But like, <laughs> also, I, you could just get your eyes lasered again. I'm just, I'll just bring an orphan in. We can, you can, <laughs> sorry. What? <laughs> I think this took a turn. I think the name bathtub ads last night really got you. Oh, I think the orphan's oh. name you're looking for is Johnny. Johnny Drum. Drum. <laughs>
share with us another fun fact. Another oh, one. yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So when you make <laughs> bourbon, it can only be bourbon if you are aging it in a barrel that's never been used before. So you char it. And then you age the bourbon in it. But once it's once you age the bourbon in it, you can't you can't put more bourbon in it because it's been used once. And so what happens is that these bourbon places then usually sell these barrels to people who are uh, aging, you know, bourbon aged uh, beer yeah. or or like barbecue bourbon barrel sauce. stout. Yeah, exactly. Which is delicious. Or barbecue sauce or hot sauce or like a million different reasons, right? So there's a huge secondary market. <clears throat> but this is what I found fascinating in this barrel. Uh, it's because it kind of soaks up the liquid, right? Right. There can be as much as 10 gallons of bourbon left in the barrel. In the wood. In the wood of the barrel. That's a 10 lot. gallons. Yeah. They say that that's like kind of, a, that's a big example. Like it's usually more between like two and four. That's what makes the Stout. bourbon barrel stout so good. <laughs> that just seems like, wouldn't, it, wouldn't it seem like sort of minuscule or just like in the residue of the, I mean, yeah. I, it is in the residue, but it just Well, that's seems, why, well, think um, about how much air there is in wood. Well, that's why um, Jim Beam does their double cut um, bottles now, which is they, um, so it's, the, it's supposed to be the opposite of angel shares with the evaporation from and then the barrel they call is Angel Share. And then, so Jimmy notes to have been taking their barrels and then putting them into a centrifuge, mm-hmm. if that's the correct one, mm-hmm. to spin all the extra bourbon out. And then that's what they're calling their devil's cut. And they're selling it. They're bottling it and selling it. Oh, that's kind of awesome. I would drink the shit, out of, the shit out of that, too. <laughs> the, the reason this makes total sense to me is actually recently because of the pillow washing that I did <laughs> on your recommendation. Wash your pillows. Wash your <laughs> pillows, bitches. Because, uh, did you know, listeners, that you're supposed to wash your pillows all the time? I didn't know this. Well, that you can wash That you pillows. can wash them. Yeah. Of course you but think you should. But if they're down, though? Uh, maybe not down. Maybe not but, down. But regular sand pillows. Synthetic pillows, like us you, people. You put them in the tub and get them wet first and squeeze it out and then put it in the washer. And it is like brand new pillows, unless you ruin your pillow, like Jen did. I did ruin my pillow. It was very sad. <laughs> However, but I improved two pillows. Yeah. So... Two-thirds win. Um, my point is, wood is a bunch of organic stuff with a bunch of air in the middle of it, right? That's what wood is. There's a lot of space. The pillows, they're so light and fluffy, like a light piece of pine. And then you put that stuff in the washing machine and get it soaking wet. And I could barely lift my pillow mm-hmm. out of the washer to put it in the dryer. And I think that is an example of how much liquid you can put into something with pore space. Also, you should get a washer that has a better spin cycle. Uh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, the wor- the the real time that I sort of misspoke, because the real heavy time was when I was soaked them in the bathtub yeah. first. Yeah, and then, yeah, of yeah. course, my bathtub is two floors above the washing machine. You lucky I still woman. have to put, like, <laughs> towels on the floor because I direct... It's, like, my hallway gets soaked when I do it. Two flights of stairs and three rooms get soaked when I do it. I but probably still, should have warned you about that. It was Sorry. so heavy. I had to have Alex come, and I'm like, could you carry this basket of pillows <laughs> to the washer? Because they are so heavy. And imagine... Like, to me, that's the same thing as, like, taking a piece of wood and soaking it full of bourbon. Think about how much liquid that can hold. That is a lot. I will say, you're a scientist, so, like, that wood is totally a sponge makes maybe more sense to you, botanist, but... <laughs> botanist? I know. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, compared sure. to rocks, like, yes, yeah, so like, you're a geologist, like, wood is, like, so... But, but to well, rocks the... also hold some water, but that's well, another true, story. Well, true, true, <laughs> comparatively speaking. Right. But also, to normal human beings, I still, like, you think of wood as solid, frankly. Right. I mean, I, I, mean I, I get that it does soak up stuff, like, that makes sense, but, like, 10 gallons... 
in it's one barrel. I get the concept, and I I believe. I mean, but right, I, I but believe, like, I, but I, I get this. I'm not like this is true, but like, right. yeah, exactly. And like, and you know, you see if you leave wood out in the rain, it like swells and expands. Yeah, but it's still one of those concepts where you understand it, but it's still. I get it. I hear you. That does my does no my pillow comparison sense. make sense? No, because you know they're full of air. Yes. Okay. Right. I mean, it makes sense. I get it. Yeah. I get the concept. It's just... Uh, it's like how I get that planes fly, but I don't really trust it all the time. We, yeah. Same thing. We can talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> some things we take for granted, and some things we don't. Now we're getting into my territory. <laughs> <laughs> science corner. <laughs> oh, we're going to have a science corner. We love when we do science corner. I'd like to order two drinks. One double scotch on the rocks, and my brother would like a double scotch on the rocks. That's two double scotch on the rocks. Next stop, rocket science. (laughs) (laughs) So that, if you've never heard it, is from Twin Peaks, which I have uh, recently been watching for the first time and found that and immediately found the YouTube of it. Excuse me. Bless Bless you. you. I immediately found the YouTube clip of it and sent it to Kelly, and that's going to be our new motto. Next up, (laughs) rocket Rocket science. Science. And speaking of of rocket science, um, let's talk about space whiskey, which is very, very far away. (laughs) Sorry, I was like, sorry. (laughs) Whiskey that you can't touch or feel or (laughs) you want longingly, but it's low Earth orbit. about this because uh this distillery um sent it up in 2011 so years ago scotland-based ardberg ardbeg Ardbeg, sorry this is just a terrible name no matter (laughs) which way you go about it um so they sent this whiskey up to the international space station so it's space whiskey they did this in 2011 they brought it down uh recently about maybe a year ago six months ago uh the reason why they did this apparently, was to see if uh, uh, the lack of gravity would change the way, in fact, we were just talking about this, how uh, it ages in the barrels to see if it interacts any differently with the wood. Um, So they sent a bunch of vials up. Uh, One hopes, Jennifer, that they did what? Well, here's my question to you. You just said they (laughs) sent a bunch of vials up, right? Well, yes. Wooden casky vials? We don't know enough details. We have not. We need to get, like, Ardbeg on the line because there's some science there's some serious science questions about this please do that what time is it there <laughs> like it's early two in the morning yes <laughs> wait what isn't it the other way around oh no, no sorry no which way is the other right astronomer oh, right. so <laughs> so here are my questions about this story here for you with all your space <laughs> what what was it in because mm-hmm. you can't age whiskey in glass correct and Say it was in some kind of, like, awesome space barrel, mini barrel, that they took up, right? It's possible. Sure. <laughs> Laugh at me. Sure. <laughs> definitely space barrels. So do the they barrel. keep a space barrel on Earth as a control? Because if you're testing how something ages in no gravity, you have to test how it ages in actual gravity, well, Earth gravity. 
not actual, but Earth gravity at the same time, if you're going to compare it to anything. I need more details. Okay. I cannot answer the control. I will say that they did not just keep them in vials because that's the whole experiment, how it interacts with the wood. They couldn't just keep them in vials, right? Who wrote this internet news? Oh, terrible. It's Houston Business Journal. Ugh. Well, because in Houston. They debuted it in a Houston bar. Is that... That right, correct? so that yeah. that's actually the news. So they don't right. actually care so much about this as so much as the novelty of having space, space whiskey, whiskey. Sure. in this Houston bar. So obviously right. Houston, you know, home we of have a problem. Mission Control. Yeah, I have a lot of questions for them. Um, Twenty test tubes were blasted into space and housed at the International Space Station for three years. So it's three years aged. They call supposedly. them test tubes. Are they wooden test tubes? Well, they just it says they were sent up that way. They had to go up somehow. They can't go in the barrel. They would slosh around Why all over the place. It'd like spill out. There'd be Our 10 gallons of whiskey in the soil. Humans Soyuz. go up there. They don't slosh around all over the place. <laughs> humans aren't as porous as wood barrels, apparently. Fair point. <laughs> Fair point. The goal was to determine how whiskey would react to the wood to a wood aging process. Oh, oh, oh. That's interesting wording, don't you think? A wood Tell aging me again. process. The goal was to determine how whiskey would react to a wood aging process without the effects of gravity. It doesn't say they put it in a barrel. It says it's a wood a aging process. So there could be wood inside the test tube yeah. that is right. like, hey, little whiskey, like react with this wood, wood for a while. Zero gravity. Because like the, it's those kits you can get from like, I forget the names of them, but like it's a mail order kit that you can get where you just get glass and some charred oak that you just uncommon put uncommon goods yeah uncommon goods that you yep. just put in the glass whatever and like age your stuff like that so here, here's what yeah. I would have done had I known we were talking about the story more than two minutes before we started taping is <laughs> um, looked up on the NASA website because for every experiment mm. that goes to the station there's there's a um, yeah there's a link for it so uh, we might put this on Tumblr later um, when I have read a little bit more about yeah, it. Yeah, we'll circle back to this. Definitely. We'll circle back because we have a lot of questions for NASA and Ardbeg. Na- NASA's, NASA's going to answer our damn questions. We have, we're <laughs> You're damn right they will. We're taxpayers. All right, so 19 of the tubes have been taken back to the distillery for science. <laughs> that was a direct quote. For, for science. For science. Direct quote. Mm-hmm. One of the tubes of the Space Age Whiskey will be auctioned off at the end of 2015. I want it. Following its tour. I love that. Following its tour in Houston, New York, and LA. Like, no one's going to drink that whiskey. Come on. <laughs> uh, so, um, it expects to be some of the most expensive whiskey auctioned in the world. It's difficult to measure because it's the first time it's... Okay, blah, blah, blah. Can't compare right. it to Space Whiskey. So, are, sure. they, are they giving any numbers of how many ounces or anything are in these tubes? Well, it's probably standard test tube. Would you know what that is? Oh, it could be like... 50 mils or something. It could be 20 mils. So not a lot. At all. I was going to say it's probably all. less than a shot. Or maybe a shot. So one day we'll all go to space and drink whiskey. The end. Awesome. Cheers. Next story. So I found this story interesting. Um, it's in the New York Times. And it's called How Dreams and Money Didn't Mix at a Texas Distillery. And basically it's about... Uh, fundamentally it's about... Uh, it's a small business story and whether or not small businesses should take um, investment and whether or not that in those investors will steer a company in a direction that you don't want it to go. Um, because at the end of this story, um, basically it turns into that the founder of the distillery gets sort of booted by the board um, 
because of not only did he not want to, I think, go at a growth pace that the investors were looking for, um, but also there's, um, it sounded like there's a little bit of a mental health issue and aggro aggression happening where someone like showed up in office with a gun. It's very kind of crazy and yeah, um, really, you know, heated discussions and, uh, and you know, I can, I can understand that because clearly this guy built a distillery and put his heart and soul into it and was pretty happy going along and, and built up this whiskey. Um, and then, you know, finally took some investment money so he can expand his distillery and get into other mar- new markets. Um, but it just sort of fell apart in the end. So it was, it was an interesting story. Hmm. Um, Did he lose his distillery? So, no, it's still, um, I believe it's still running and it's under the control of the board and like a new CEO. Hmm. And I don't think um, this guy is allowed um, into this distillery anymore. Um, yeah, he, he agreed to let the rest of the board buy him out and then he was fired. Hmm. Oh, and, that's sort of a tough oh, story. Oh, and then and then on and then also through a non-compete agreement, forbidden to make whiskey until March 2016. Oh, that's, oh, that's sad. Yeah, uh. yeah. So, you know, and I think it's it's about. Uh, I think a lot of people, there's either two paths when you start a business. It's either that you want that growth opportunity and want to be bought out as soon as possible to make the most money. Um, but then there's also these small business people that just want to sort of stay in small business mode and just be happy at their sort of sustainable level and not have like exponential growth that investors, excuse me, really want. Right. And focus on the craft Mm -hmm. and not the money part. That's interesting. Yeah. It's very, it's very sad. I mean, that's hard. Like, especially, you know, it's it's sort of a struggle between the the creativity and the business side. And those Mm -hmm. are, it's hard for almost anybody to have both of those. And when you're running something so small, you have to have both of them. You can't have the creativity without the business side. You can't have the business side without the creativity. It's all going nowhere. So you have to partner with people and some people just aren't built to do that. It's hard. It, It is hard to have a business partner of any kind. It is. Yeah. And you have to partner with somebody that you trust mm-hmm. creatively and financially. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think the base of the story isn't new by any means, but just the fact that it's happening now within the craft distilling world itself is that, mm-hmm. um, you know, craft distilling is, well, bourbon and whiskey in general has just hit this huge boom in popularity and that there's just, we hear all the stories of how there's just not enough whiskey to go around. And so people are clamoring to get high. <laughs> oh, speaking the of whiskey cats, cats Amos is clamoring to get some pets from Kelly. <laughs> He's like, oh, enough investment talk. Give me love. Um, <laughs> yes, is that enough? Is that enough love for you? Come here. Oh, my goodness. Um, but that, it, you know, we're now at this crossroads of trying to get that growth because the market is demanding it versus, again, like you said, getting into the craft because you love the craft. Right. The, you know, this craft distillery that, um, you know, it says in this article, which is, it's from the New York Times, says if Mr. Tate was the right man for the job, he also arrived at the right time. After declining for nearly 30 years, American whiskey sales were up 34% from t- 2008 to 2013, according to the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States, and up more than 100% for super premium whiskey of the sort that Balcones specialized in. That's the name of his distillery. That growth has also spurred an expansion in the number of small craft distilleries. When Mr. Tate founded Balcones, there were about 100. Today, there are nearly 500. So he was really at the beginning yeah, of this, beginning too. Of yeah, wow. Yeah, and then to kind of be forced out in the end. 
Oh, this makes me sad. Yeah. But yeah. But well, in more fun, fun news, news of people achieving their goals. <laughs> Sorry. <Ouch. laughs> oh. Sorry. Well, not a goal Dang. that any of us would ever have. You know that guy's got loaded guns, right? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, sir. Uh, no, it's terrible. Um, uh, we've been following the story of these guys at Yosemite who just climbed, like, the most difficult rock climb ever. Half Dome? Yes. Is that the name of it? Uh, I think so. Oh, well, El Capitan. Oh, El Capitan. Sorry. I think Half Dome is, like, done all the time, but El Capitan is serious business. Because um, it's a serious face wall. I mean, I'm not a big rock climber, but I was reading a little bit about this. Well, just, well, honestly, because I follow Nat Geo on Instagram, and they were, like, retweeting the shit out of this. They were like, these guys are awesome. Well, it and- is, like, the most, the most, you know, iconic flat-faced, mm-hmm. scary-ass wall of rock that exists in the and U.S. And these two guys, I have to admit, since we're all photographers, we're posting some amazing photos. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, photos that made me want to die, but they were amazing <laughs> photos. So they're up there for, like, 20 days trying to do this, this, this free climb, which no one has ever done. Which means no gear. No gear. No gear. Ah. No ropes. Basically no ropes. I shouldn't say no gear. Right. But, like, no ropes. So yeah. their fingers are, like... Bleeding off, they okay. have no fingertips left. Yeah. They would have to take breaks because they're like, My fingers are bleeding too bad today. And right, I gotta grow my skin back before I can climb up. Anyway, this is not something that any of the three of us would ever do in our lives ever. No. However, we did note that of the things that they had with them up there for the 20 days on this wall, I'm saying 20 days, I think that's right, um, were all things that that we believe in wholeheartedly, which are coffee. Indian yep. food, oh my god, yes. chocolate, mm-hmm. and the occasional nip of whiskey. Yep. So next stop, rocket science. <laughs> next stop, rocket science. <laughs> I mean, you're gonna need a little bit of fortitude to do what the hell they did. Absolutely. And so I cannot find what kind of whiskey they have. So if anyone no, knows, nobody what it is. It. Email it us and tell us. Two weeks though, so they were just about twenty days. I think it was night. Yeah, the trek began December twenty seventh, in the nineteen days that followed, so about twenty. If anyone out there knows what whiskey they had, I mean, what can you get? I don't know. Who knows what they had up there? Email us at whiskeycatspodcast at gmail.com. Yes. Let us know. We want to know. We want to know. I have to know. Um, but congratulations to them for doing something that I will never in my life Absolutely ever crazy. even think about doing. Yeah. Amazing. And for sleeping on a tent attached to a rock face, which you're crazy as fuck, but, you know. I don't know the sleeping part. That's I can kind of get behind. The tent no. seems like the worst part to me. Like, I would rather climb than sleep in the tents that they were sleeping in. Oh my God, but no. the climbing is when they're not attached to anything. At least while you're sleeping in a tent, you're like, enclosed? I don't know. We clearly differ on this. Let's never do this. Let's just... <laughs> high five. Correct. That is the correct answer. Correct. Uh, all right. So, okay, this is funny. I'm going to read this one quick thing. From this, so also let's let's take a moment to admire the headline "Whiskey on the Rocks." The only time you're ever going to use that, and it's so appropriate. Yep, agree. Right. It's good. They also took punishment whenever their grip slipped, pitching them into swinging falls that bounced them off the rock face. The tumbles, which they called "quote taking a whipper," <laughs> ended with startling jolts from their safety ropes. So they did have safety ropes, I guess. Well, let's just. Can I just please go back to the idea that when you're sleeping? You're not dealing with being bounced about and taking whippers. 
on the rocks. All right, but when you're climbing, you're at 100% adrenaline, and you're sleeping, you're supposed to be fucking sleeping. All right, fair enough. I'm just saying taking a whipper is going to be something. Can we turn it into something? <laughs> we're, that and Next Step Rocket Science next are, step. we're going to have somebody write both of these into our, into our the glossary. Wixy, the Wixie Cats lexicon. Yes. Yes. Oh, that's great. Great. All right. Well, that's, uh, that's our week of news. Fantastic. For Whiskey Cats. Great. Well, that's another episode of Whiskey Cats. You can find us on the Twitter and the Instagram at whiskey underscore cats. I'm online, uh, whiskeycats.com. And, oh yeah, email us, uh, whiskeycatspodcast at gmail.com. All the whiskey Ooh. news. Send us whiskey news. Send us whiskey news. We love whiskey news. And whiskey science. Oh yeah, definitely science. <laughs> I really like to film my science corner. Woo! <laughs> Give it to me, Papa. <laughs> <laughs>